We're now five days into Seahawks training camp. Which players are hot and which ones are not? It's time for our first stock watch coming up on our Tuesday episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Tuesday episode, my host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Seahawks now with five training camp practices in the books. The first preseason game a week and a half away. Really, this month is going to fly by. And before you know it, Russell Wilson's going to be coming to town with the Denver Broncos for week one. We got a jam packed Tuesday episode coming your way. We're going to be breaking down observations from today's first padded practice at the VMAC and our first stock watch of the preseason. Which players are hot, which ones are not? Rob and I will be looking at an offensive and defensive player that has boosted their stock and one that hasn't necessarily done so here in the first week of camp now for your lead story here on locked on Seahawks the Seahawks had their fifth training camp practice today and it was an important step heading towards the regular season and getting close to real football with the pads coming out at least shoulder pads going in what they call shell mode and Rob up to this point with OTAs mini camp the first four training camp practices yes everybody's excited to watch football on the field but it isn't really football when there's no pads and there's limited contact or in the offseason no contact at all to speak of it's really difficult to evaluate players in particular offensive linemen defensive linemen and pass rushers the first three or four practices those players basically are going through the motions because they can't do most of what they need to do on the football field all of that changes once the pads come out so we finally get an opportunity to see what the offensive line and defensive line can do in action here in our fifth practice. Our, our YouTube listeners, Corbin, will, will see the big smile on my face because, as you said, this is when the football begins, and, and that's what it's all about. I mean, I, I've been going to the Senior Bowl for 20 years now, and the first couple of days when players are not truly in full pads, not truly you know, ready to go and acclimated, you, you have to kind of watch the receivers, defensive backs, see the guys that can move, see the guys that have the change direction, have the acceleration, because as you mentioned, if you're not wearing pads at the line of scrimmage, it, it, it basically is just seeing who has athletic ability, looking at body types and things like that. But real football is played with physicality, and you have to have those pads. So, yeah, along the offensive line, defensive line, pass rushers, running backs, can linebackers actually tackle rather than just hit? All of those things are critical. And when you're talking about a team like the Seattle Seahawks, who, of course, are going through the transition that they are, all of those key positions, then, yes, today is absolutely a monstrous day on the calendar. And there was some big news, it sounded like, um, from Seattle Seahawks training camp, not the least of which was the quarterbacks, the running backs making some plays, some big, splashy presentations from some of those pass rushers as well. It sounds like today was a day to be in Renton. Oh, yeah. The first day with pads is always a celebration. And you can tell that the players, there's just a different energy. Daryl Taylor came out of the tunnel singing. I don't know what the song was that he was humming to himself. There's just a different vibe 
when you realize, you know what, I can actually hit somebody a little bit. Now, it's not full throttle what you're going to see on Sundays. They're going to be popping and rapping, and that's it. Not going to be bringing guys to the ground. Now, there were a few examples today where guys hit the ground. Al Woods made sure of that in the run period. First play of the run period just immediately got through the line and bulldozed the running back. So it's going to happen occasionally. You're going to see guys go down. But generally, it's wrap up. It's a little bit of thud. That's what they call it instead of actually tackling. But still, it's a huge step up. And as you mentioned, with the pass rushers and the offensive line in particular, this first practice, it's really fun to see how those edge rushers handle their first practice where they can actually play with physicality. Because up to this point, you're just pinning your ears back and running up field and trying to use your finesse to get around tackles. But now with the shoulder pads on, you can mix in some power. And day one went to the edge rushers. And that's not uncommon, particularly when you're talking about how young the Seahawks are at their tackle position. But Daryl Taylor, I mentioned his antics before practice, how excited he was, how fired up he was to get out there. He played like he was on fire today. There was one play in particular, Jake Curhan at right tackle across from him. Maybe he jumped off sides, but it looked to me like he had it timed perfectly. And he almost had to feel bad for Jake Curhan because he was just getting to his pass set and Daryl Taylor is already in Geno Smith's lap in the backfield, just like a rocket coming off the edge. And then Tyreek Smith, the rookie who was only in his second practice after coming off the pup list, there were a few reporters looking at each other like, who is this number 92? He was just toying with Stone Forsythe as the backup left tackle and rushing the quarterback. Had three pressures as a speed rusher. Also mixed in some power on another pressure where he was able to collapse the pocket. Again, it's not totally real football, but this is a much better way to evaluate when guys are actually hitting each other with shoulder pads. And at least in the case of Daryl Taylor, as well as Tyreek Smith, both those guys we're causing a lot of problems for the Seahawks on offense today. Yeah, I mean, as you said, I mean, it is an advantage to the pass rush when the very first day in pads, again, going back to my days in, in evaluating players, the Senior Bowl, East West Shrine game, et cetera, et cetera, you just kind of knew the very first day in pads that the offensive linemen were going to be a step behind. But at the same time, is it a bad thing that, that Daryl Taylor is showing off that athletic ability, that Tyreek Smith is showing off that, that explosiveness? I mean, that the first impression, as everybody has heard, first impression is the lasting one. And when you are a couple of days into training camp before you've had an opportunity to really show what you can do, like Tyreek Smith, as a, as a rookie, you have to make an impressive first impression. So good for him. For, for being able to demonstrate that. We saw flashes of that, of course, at, at Ohio State and certainly with Daryl Taylor. We talked about it over and over again, Corbin, that this is a kid who I, I just really think – I shouldn't say kid. A young man who I think is about to pop. I, I think that he – as the leading returner sacker for the Seahawks this season to go with six and a half, I believe. I, I think that we're talking about double-digit sack guy this upcoming season. His explosiveness upfield, his ability to turn, wrap the corner, um, and then just his improving ability to uh, to complement his hands and his feet, basically using them in uh, rotation really to to accentuate his speed rush i think is just going to allow him to be that much more productive that is one of the areas i would i really think that the seahawks are going to improve a great deal this season in terms of pass rush i think they're going to have a three-headed monster with, with daryl taylor boye mafia chin Maloso. we've talked about that before but i do think that taylor is going to be the superstar of that bunch and then again going back to jay curran while maybe disappointing in that 
particular snap. At the same time, the one thing that I've been reading and talking to people um, who have been there and right beside yourself, of course, uh, be, besides yourself, of course, sir, is uh, the fact that Jay Curran is basically kind of stealing away that right tackle position. So to me, that is one of the real takeaways we had talked about before. Stone Forsyth, perhaps Abe Lucas, the rookie, that he might be pushing Jay Curran. But I, it sounds like Curran really is kind of starting to distance himself from the rest of the players. I'm curious to see if that is going to continue as the, the practices with pads continue. And obviously, as the the, pra- the preseason games start up here a week and a half from now, as you mentioned. Yeah, Curran has been the first team right tackle in four of the five practices. Stone Forsythe got the reps the other day. And really, I think the only difference on that one day was that Gabe Jackson had a veteran rest day and they needed Jake Curran to come in and play right guard for them. So really, it looks like right now he is the front runner. I still expect Abraham Lucas is going to get that opportunity, especially now that the pads are on and he gets to show what he can do from a physicality standpoint. But real quick, going back to Daryl Taylor, those of our listeners that have been to training camp and you've had a chance to watch number 52 – I don't know what he's weighing right now, but it looks to me like he's put on 10 to 12 pounds of good muscle. Last year, I thought he was a little bit lean, and he is faster to go with it. So he's stronger and faster, just looks like a different player. And we know he was productive last year. And so there's a lot of reasons to be really excited about where he fits in. And he he just looks different. Uchenna Nuosu and Boye Mafe are fantastic athletes, but in terms of the ability to bend around in the corner, the, the flexion, Daryl Taylor is just on another level compared to those two right now. And you can even see it in the drill work. So fans should be really fired up about what Taylor is going to do this season. And now that the pads are out, he's going to get more opportunities to torture Seattle's tackles. And that'll be really good for their tackles for when they play other teams going against him on the practice field. It's only going to make them better. Obviously, there's a lot of other observations for us to dive into. It was a really jam-packed first day of padded practice at Seahawks training camp. So we're going to dive into some other observations away from the offensive and defensive line coming up here in a moment. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you are depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor. It's delicious, indulgent cookie dough. I had one before the show, covered in chocolate, absolutely delicious. Built has done it again. Let me introduce you to your new favorite, Cookie Dough Chunk Puffs. Have a light and chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks, and of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. All the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it. That is a huge plus. And oh, by the way, it's healthy and almost 20 grams of protein, 160 calories. Run to Built.com to snag a box for you and your family. It'll probably be gone in five minutes. It's the perfect treat. You can find a really good hiding place. You can just hoard them for yourself, or you can be a nice family member and share it with your parents, your sisters, whoever. Like all Built Bars, the new Cookie Dough Chunk Puff is covered in 100% real chocolate. It's healthy, it's tasty, and it's got a light, fluffy texture. You're going to love the new Cookie Dough Chunk Puff. Whether you need a snack for your workout, a late-night treat, or just need to grab a quick bite, Built is the perfect protein bar, and they taste better than a candy bar. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. Again, that's LOCK15 at Built.com to get 15% off your order. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or watching the video form five days a week on YouTube. Seahawks had their fifth training camp practice today, and they busted out the shoulder pads. Not quite full pads. Most NFL teams don't do that very often anymore during training camp anyway, but 
They busted out the shoulder pads to go with the helmet. A much more physical practice, as we talked about with the offensive line and the defensive line. Let's shift over to what everybody wants to talk about, though. The Seahawks trying to figure out who's going to replace Russell Wilson. And basically, this is going to become a daily thing. Quarterback watch. Who's got the edge? Yesterday, Drew Locke had his best day since joining the Seahawks and maybe closed the gap a little bit. And today was another one of those practices, Rob, where the defense really dominated for the most part from start to finish. But in the actual team sessions at the end, Drew Locke again was the superior quarterback. The touchdown that Geno Smith had was not a touchdown. Marquise Goodwin dropped that pass. The officials on the practice field gave it to him, but that ball hit the ground about three times bouncing up and down off the ground. So not even close to being a touchdown. Drew Locke led two touchdown drives, though, with the second unit. And DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett were getting some reps with that second unit. So I think that is a positive step forward for Drew Locke. He might not have been fully immersed with the ones today, but the Seahawks were clearly making a conscious effort to get him some opportunities to work with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And even though there's some timing issues, they haven't played together very much. Again, I think that that is a positive sign for Drew Locke and the fact he was able to generate two touchdown drives, finish with two touchdown passes to Penny Hart and Aaron Fuller to cap off those drives. That is another good omen for him in this race, and I think it is the the next big step to being able to play with the first team. Yeah, I agree with 100%. As we talked about, I mean, the, the transition from no pads to at least some pads is a significant one. And Drew Locke had built himself up a little bit of momentum going into today's practice. And everybody I've talked to and read sounds like Drew Locke continued that momentum today. Not that Juno Smith had a bad day, but that Drew Locke had a slightly better day. And, and again, in my conversations with folks, it sounds like Drew Locke still has yet to throw an interception in practice, whereas Geno Smith has had several. Yes. And, and that's the thing, is that if you want to look at this from just purely a number standpoint, I'm not suggesting that Drew Locke has been outstanding, because even the day that I was there watching my own eyes, he was not outstanding. He was pretty good, but not outstanding. And, and that's the thing, is that the Seahawks, if they are going to make that switch from the incumbent, the safe Geno Smith, to a little bit more of a wild card with, with Drew Locke, then he doesn't have to just be good. He has got to be clearly better than, than Geno Smith. And at least these last couple of days, it sounds like he has been. As you talked about with the touchdown pass from Geno Smith to Marquise Goodwin, at least the touchdown pass for those of our YouTube listeners or, or viewers who just saw him, I put the hand quotes up there or the you know, you know, air quotes up there. It sounds like Marquise Goodwin made a heck of a tumbling you know, catch, reception, trap, whatever you want to say. It looks like the picture I saw from the un- unbelievable photographer, Rod Marr uh, of Seahawks.com. It looked like that Marquise Goodwin pinned the ball next to his, um, well, let's just say it's inner thigh. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and made that reception, and it was counted as a touchdown. And so, hey, yeah, give Geo Smith some credit. Sounds like he had a couple other throws that were really close, maybe one to Rashad Penny. You know, down at the one yard line, some, some good throws, but still, from what I have been able to ascertain and having some conversation with folks, is that Geno Smith, just like I had seen before, he kind of a, a forces his his receivers, his pass catchers to make adjustments, make spectacular catches to be able to pull off some of these passes. Whereas with Drew Locke, it sounds like the ball is placed just a little bit easier for them to make some easier catches, um, some, some kind of easy touchdowns so to speak. Ken Walker, from what I understand, had a kind of a walk-in touchdown 
Um, you know, to, and so, again, that, that's what they're looking for. You want the quarterback who can make things a little bit easier on the rest of your teammates. So, again, I, I think that that is a, a definitely a positive sign for Drew Locke. It all could go to heck in the handbasket really quickly if he throws a couple of boneheaded interceptions or some boneheaded passes. I saw Drew Locke make one of those in the very first day of training camp this year. He has to stop doing that. But if he does, then I really think that this is his job to kind of seize. So we talked about this yesterday, Corbin, with Pete Carroll not there, with, with Carl Taylor Smith and, and, of course, the defensive coordinator, uh, you know, Clint Hurd kind of taking control of, of this, this team. It would be interesting to see. So I think that the fact that the Seahawks did integrate their number one wide receivers, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, their number one uh, running back and tight ends, et cetera, but still not the number one offensive line against the number one defense for Drew Locke. To me, that's the natural progression that we should see with Drew Locke, but I am encouraged by the kind of slight steps that Drew Locke is taking and hopefully a little bit more consistent play at the quarterback position. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say that the quarterbacks lit the world on fire because, again, this was a defensive-dominated practice. The first red zone session, no touchdowns for either the first or second team offense for a second straight day. Shane Waldron cannot be pleased about that. But to see Drew Locke come back and play the way that he did during their team session at the end and be able to lead two touchdown drives, it does feel like he is starting to build a little bit of momentum here. And Geno Smith certainly did not help himself because the interception he threw today was easily the worst that he's thrown in training camp. And Tyler Lockett was running a post route. He was open initially, but it was it was one of those cases where the Madden player hit the B button about three seconds later than they should have. And that allowed Josh Jones to have time to fly in from his safety position, undercut the throw, and get an easy interception. Really, he baited Geno Smith into that throw more than anything. And so those kind of plays, when you're in a quarterback competition, and I still feel like this is going to be a competition, you have this phase getting the receivers in there with Locke. Now maybe tomorrow he'll get some reps behind the first-team offensive line, and they'll see where he fits in. But those type of interceptions you can't have when you're in a quarterback battle like this one. Speaking of Josh Jones, I think it's a perfect segue on the defensive side of the football. Football, we've talked pass rushers going against the offensive line. And Josh Jones is a player that going into this camp probably was not somebody that most people thought had a chance to make this football team. But Ryan Neal gets banged up early in practice in special teams, doesn't return to the field. And now this is the second time in the last four practices that Jones has intercepted Geno Smith. All he's doing is making plays. And Rob, this guy's a former second-round pick, and he's got great size. He's athletic. He actually drew some Cam Chancellor comparisons coming out of North Carolina State with his size and his athletic ability. It didn't work out for him in Green Bay or Indianapolis. He spent a brief cup of tea with Jacksonville, too. But this guy is still a young safety, and he can play both free and strong safety. He's showing some ball skills. He's showing some football IQ. He played well in his one start for the team last year. It feels like at the minimum, he's putting some heat on some of those other veteran safeties that are trying to vie for a backup spot behind Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams. We, we talked about this before, Corbin. Safety is a really, really strong position for the Seahawks. And, and Josh Jones is, from all accounts, is having a terrific camp. I mean, this is the kid who's 6'2", 230 pounds, who ran four threes. I mean, Mike. <laughs> Goodness, that is an absolutely unbelievable athlete. We're talking about Pete Carroll now, who loves his athletes. We're talking about a former second-round selection, as you mentioned, from North Carolina State University. I mean, Russell Wilson's 
you know, old, the old program that he started with before he made the switch over, of course, to Wisconsin. Uh, talking about a former pick of the Green Bay Packers. You don't think that Josh Shire and the Seahawks would want to just kind of rub it in their face that they've got a player that they, that the Packers let go? Um, you know, and again, just that size, the athletic ability, the way that this defense is changing with Sean Desai and Carl Scott likely to implement three safeties rather than the two that Seattle and most NFL clubs, you know, run most of the time. The things just seem like they're lining up very, very nicely for Josh Jones and Seattle. As you mentioned, Ryan Neal coming down with the injury, Jamal Adams, of course, with the claw and all that kind of stuff. And we, we, we don't know what's going to happen there. It is imperative that Seattle have durability and depth at the safety position, knowing that while they had two superstars in Quandra Diggs and Jamal Adams, at the same time, both of them struggled with injuries over their careers. Um, and so, again, I, I think that when we start talking about guys who are winning right now, on the defensive side of the ball, I think that we have to have the conversation about Josh Jones. I think we also have to have the conversation about Artie Burns, uh, the cornerback who, who followed Sean Desai from Chicago to Seattle. His length, his physicality, his just kind of one-on-one, mono-e-mono kind of attitude that he has demonstrated going back to last year against DK Metcalf. I mean, I remember when Seattle signed Bless Austin from the New York Jets, and I watched his tape, and the very first game I saw him was Bless Austin 101 against DK Metcalf. And because yep. Austin was as impressive as he was against Metcalf, I thought, well, this makes an awful lot of sense for the Seahawks. Same thing here with Artie Burns. I like the way that he played against DK Metcalf a year ago. I would argue that Josh Jones is absolutely one of the defensive players who is moving up right now. Artie Burns is another one. Yeah, both those players have had pretty impressive camps. And I think Jones even has come even more out of nowhere, even though he was on the team for the last month, last season. He wasn't back on the roster until April. They they waited a while to re-sign him, and they've got all these undrafted rookies that they're intrigued by the position. And real quick on Artie Burns, I'm just going to say this right now. There might not be anything that is more fun to watch at Seahawks training camp right now than him and DK Metcalf going against each other. And last year he held him to one catch for zero yards and had a pass breakup covering him in that upset for the Bears over the Seahawks in week 16, that snowy game at Lumen Field. You could just see that he it's almost like he's getting under DK Metcalf's skin at this point. Like, stop knocking the football out of my hands. And he just keeps doing it. And yesterday there was a play where DK Metcalf caught the ball against him and he tried to wave first down, moving his hand forward. And what did Burns do? Slap the ball out of his hands. I mean, these two, and actually it was a couple of seconds or a couple of minutes before Metcalf and Daryl Taylor actually got into a little bit of a scuffle on the field. I think Artie Burns kind of fueled that with the way that things are going to the outside. So you like that good, healthy aggression and, and having a rivalry on the field. You just don't want it to turn into all out fights like that one almost did, but Certainly, we saw it again today. Those two going against each other, those two are going to make each other better. And Artie Burns has done as good of a job against DK as any corner that I've seen. When you go back and watch that film last year, what he's doing on the practice field. So exciting developments for the Seahawks in the secondary with some players that maybe weren't on fans' radar. And that is really a perfect segue to our final segment here on our Tuesday episode of Locked on Seahawks. We like to do this periodically throughout training camp of the preseason and bust out the stock watch, looking at which players are trending up, which ones are trending down. We're going to go with what's hot, who's hot, and who's not here for this segment. Our first stock watch of the 2022 training camp. Let's start on the offensive side of the football, Rob, and let's start with the positive. Which player is hot in your opinion? Who has raised their stock the most 
in these first five practices? Uh, that's a great question. I, I'm going to go back to Jake Curran. I, I talked about it before. I, I really thought that, that right tackle position was going to be one of the most hotly uh, you know, debated and competitive situations of regardless of position on, on the CFs roster. And, and yet I, in, in watching Jay Curran a little bit more uh, in his, his tape from last year, and then just in the pre or just in the, the, the training camp and many camps that I've been able to, uh, to attend, I, I've just been impressed. I think that he looks leaner. I think he looks quicker and he was damn quick last year. There, there were some there were some plays last year, Corbin, where this is the guy who, who clocked, I think it was in the five fours. I mean, it was not a good 40-yard dash time. But you see the initial quickness that Jake Curran demonstrates, especially in the running game. And I think that's really one of the big differences between he and Abe Lucas and certainly from Stone Forsyth as well. Um, I think all three of them are very close in terms of path protection, but Jay Curran is just a whole different level in the running game. And I think that just his savvy, the way that he switches off between unexpected pass rushers, I, I think that just really shows his experience. And so to me, I know that people want to talk about quarterbacks and all the skilled position players. And when we were talking about Josh Jones and Artie Burns before, and everybody wants to knock Geno Smith or knock DK Metcalf, I want to celebrate the incredible athletic ability of the defensive players who are making these plays rather than knock the other players. But in this case, this isn't a knock on anyone. I think that Jay Curran has proven himself to be not only clearly an absolute member of Seattle's 53-man roster, but very possibly their starter moving forward next season. And that puts all kinds of questions about what Seattle maybe should have done with Abe Lucas in that third-round selection, what Stone Forsyth might be for the club. Who cares? The point is the Seattle needed to address their offensive line, and they already have a good player with a couple of others who might be able to also complement him. But Jay Curran is absolutely a player who I did not expect to be talking about this point in the season, but yet I've been very impressed by. Yeah, the fact that he has been the first team right tackle for the first five practices to me is a pretty big deal, especially with the investment they made. I still think Abraham Lucas is the long-term guy, but he might not be ready to start right away. And there's nothing wrong with moving forward with Jay Curran, who is a pretty darn young player in his own right. I got to go with somebody that's going to be running behind Jay Curran potentially in Ken Walker the third, And me being the running back guy, our listeners would be like, well, duh, he's going to pick a running back. But it doesn't have anything to do with his running ability. Now, this guy is so sudden out of the backfield. His ability to just stick his cleat in the turf and just cut on a dime. LaShawn McCoy was, was known for that. I actually see some LaShawn McCoy in Ken Walker the third's game. Yeah. And I also see it in his game as a pass catcher. And this is not something that many people were expecting because Ken Walker the third simply was not utilized as a pass catcher at Wake Forest or Michigan State. He was a bell cow running back, and that's primarily what he did. He didn't get a lot of opportunities to catch the football, and he was primarily in the backfield. Seattle is moving him all over the place. He's played a little bit outside. They used to do that with Chris Carson some, where they would slide him outside as a receiver occasionally. He's moved around. He's catching the ball like a receiver. He's made some of the best catches at training camp so far. And maybe that's not necessarily a good thing when you consider the Seahawks have not been able to get their passing game going with their receivers consistently so far. That's not a good omen, maybe. But the running backs have been extremely reliable, especially Walker, who I've counted, I've counted catching four touchdowns so far in training wow. camp. 
And so we've seen him bring a much more versatile skill set maybe than I think people anticipated. That's going to open up more opportunities. He could be your third down back. I think a lot of people, including myself, thought, well, that's Travis Homer's job because of his pass protection skills. But if Ken Walker III can come out in the padded practices and show improvements in that area of his game with his receiving ability and the rushing threat that he is, this truly could be a two-horse race at running back where you've got Rashad Penny and Ken Walker III, those two guys feeding off of each other with different skill sets. And Walker could be your third down back, and that's just going to give him even more snaps to build maybe a rookie of the year candidacy. So a really exciting development for Seattle, just seeing everything he's already able to do when he wasn't used that way at the college level. Yeah, I, I can't agree with you more. I mean, Ken Walker, I, I love the Sean McCoy comparison. I, I just, it's been a long time since Seattle's had any kind of back that has this type of juice, this type of elusiveness. I mean, he's led the entire country in missed tackles, led the country, in, at least in the Power Five teams, in, in terms of, uh, you know, the rushing yards and, you know, obviously Doak Walker, Walker Award winner, Heisman Trophy, for, uh, you know, candidate, all those different things. But, we say that and we don't really think about what it means, but this is the Big Ten that he was going up against. That's the one thing that they do very well in the Big Ten is tackle generally. And yet this guy was able to make people miss, and he has proven that. And as you said, I mean, four touchdowns that you've watched, obviously you've been to five practices so far, so that's a heck of a track record. So I, I'm incredibly excited about the versatility that Ken Walker III can provide the Seahawks, especially when you're looking Looking at the rest of this division, Corbin, we see Debo Samuel re-sign the San Francisco 49ers. We saw the versatility that he brought to the 49ers a year ago. And I'm not saying that Ken Walker is going to be Debo Samuel. Different type of a player. But still, it's the versatility that he has demonstrated that has me excited. It's the versatility that was promised with the Eskridge that we have not yet seen. And, and that's where I'm concerned. So if we're going to tout the guys like Ken Walker and Jake Curry and some of these players that have impressed us to this point, I saw D. Eskridge, at least saw pictures on social media, that D. Eskridge was in full pads with the rest of his teammates today. Today was the day that he needed to make an impression. Tomorrow's an even better day. But the days are right now. The Seattle is begging for a third pass catcher. They're hoping it's Noah Fan. They're hoping it's Marquise Goodwin. They're hoping it's Ken Walker. But the one that they wanted to be is the second-round pick from last year, D. Eskridge. And so, to me, he is the player I've been most disappointed on and the one who I'm basically calling out right now, like, hey, let's get going. Because otherwise, Seattle's wide receiver, the depth is good enough that he will be replaced if he doesn't get it going here soon. Yeah, they've got enough talent at that position. I don't think that his roster spot is in jeopardy yet. But you've got to be available. And they've invested other draft picks in Bo Melton as well as Dariq Young. They've got some other young players they don't get the position. Marquise Goodwin can still fly at 32 years of age. He's arguably faster than D. Eskridge is. So there are other options on the roster. And I, I found it baffling. Why is he in helmet and shoulder pads if he isn't going to participate at all beyond warm-ups? Like, if you wanted to go through warm-ups without his helmet on and stuff, that's fine. I just don't understand why he was suited up if he was not going to practice. Maybe it was one of those things he tested it out thinking he was going to practice and he didn't. But yeah, there's a lot of pressure on him. Speaking of the receiver position, I'm going to mention Bo Melton as my player that's on the who's not aspect here because I can't recall the last time that I even noticed that Bo Melton was on the field here. 
in these first five practices. The only thing I remember is the first practice, him dropping a wide open slant. He hasn't been able to produce anything in one-on-ones for the most part. Hasn't found the end zone, been a non-factor in the red zone stuff, even when the third team offense is out there and they've got Jacob Easton under center. I don't even remember him being out there and getting targeted. And so he's really been a ghost these first five practices. And especially with D. Eskridge being out, what a prime opportunity for the incoming rookie to make a statement. Derek Young has done that. Derek Young has gone out there and made plays. And he's shown that he's got some ability. Bo Melton can be a big-time asset to this passing game. And yet, I've seen absolutely nothing that suggests that he is going to be a factor in this race. That could change in the next few practices. But the time is now. With the talent they've got at receiver, the veterans they've got coming back, like Freddie Swain, as well as Penny Hart, Cody Thompson. I mean, you've got to bring it. And I haven't even seen a C game from him to this point. He needs to show up. So, both of us looking at receivers that are supposed to be vying for the number three spot that have been a disappointment to this point for different reasons. Now let's swing to defense here, starting with the who's hot on the defensive side of the football. I have a feeling I know who you're going to go with on this one, Robin. Maybe it's a player we've already kind of hit on a little bit today. Yeah, that's the thing. I talked about Artie Burns before, and he was a player I was really, really high and come out of Miami. First round pick, of course, by the Pittsburgh Steelers. I gave him a first round grade. I thought that he had the man coverage ability to be successful in the NFL. Also had the smarts, the tackling ability to be successful in more of a zone heavy defense. Was was disappointed, surprised that, that he did not have more success in Pittsburgh. Not at all surprised that he had some success in Chicago. Love the the addition for Seattle um, just because of the familiarity with Sean Desai's defense. So, again, Artie Burns and him making some big plays. We've talked about this before. Seattle's ability to find these defensive backs, uh, you know, I, I think is really one of the, the great things about Pete Carroll and Josh Shire, the way they work together. They have, have had some – you know, remarkable success in, in that regard. But I, again, I talked about Artie Burns. So rather than kind of just focus in on the positives for him, and I think that that is a huge positive. I think you also could mention Kobe Bryant. We talked about him in yesterday's show, so I don't want to kind of double dip here. So I'm going to kind of you know go towards the line of scrimmage. And one of the players that I've been really impressed with is Al Woods. I think anybody who's watched any of these practices has been impressed by Al Woods. But at the same time, I've also been disappointed by the lack of similar plays from Brian Monet, considering that he's the younger player, 6'3", 335, 345 pounds. He's arguably the bigger player. And he's a player that just resigned for a contract. And when I saw him that day one of training camp, when you're going to a guy that size, Corbin, you're, you're going to not look really impressive without pads. I, I get that. And, and we are, and Seattle has been playing with, without pads for, you know, the first couple of days, of course. And so this is not his game. His game is when you add the pads and you have to run the ball and he's just going to be able to, to throw potential blockers to the side and be able to make plays. We've seen Brian Monet take over at times. But this is one of those times where he needs to take over. He needs to reassure John Schneider and the Seahawks that, that they made the wise move in signing him to a long-term deal. So Brian Monet, I, I want to see a little bit more from him because I have seen some flashes from Puna Ford, from Quentin Jefferson, certainly from Al Woods has been dominant so far as he was last year. And so that would be a player on the defensive side of the ball that I don't think a lot of people are talking about, but I want to see a little bit more play from him as we move forward in this training camp. 
Yeah, I'm going to do a little bit of a flip of the script here, and I'm going to go with my who's not first before I end on a positive note here. And I don't like picking on somebody that gets hurt because this really has nothing to do with Ryan Neal get bang, getting banged up today. I just think Ryan Neal has had a very underwhelming training camp to this point. There have been a number of plays that you have been able to visibly see him. There's been a couple of times where he's hit his hands on his helmet after giving up a completion. There's been some busted coverage. Colby Parkinson went wide open down the field. The second training camp practice and Drew Locke had already gotten rid of the football. So he didn't have the chance to throw it to Parkinson. I don't even think it was one of those where he just flat out missed the receiver. He had already gotten the ball out, but you can see the coverage breakdowns. It's been an issue for Ryan Neal. And I don't even want to say necessarily that he has had a horrible camp. He just, for expectations that he has set for himself, the way he's played the last couple seasons, and to see what Josh Jones is doing. This is such a competitive safety group, especially if one of those undrafted rookies starts to play. Scott Nelson made a couple pass breakups today. So maybe he's a name that you throw into that mix that's a little bit of a surprise. But this is a loaded safety group. So if you're Ryan Neal, you can't rest on your laurels. And I don't think he is. That's not the way he's programmed. But he he just has had a subpar training camp for what I at least believe the expectation should be for him with some missed coverage assignments. And now he's potentially going to be out. Again, we don't know the injury. The Seahawks did not disclose that information. But he left the field during special teams at the beginning of practice and never returned. So we'll see what happens on that front. But if he misses some time, this is a great opportunity for Josh Jones and those undrafted rookies to try to come for his roster spot. He's not a player that's making a ton of money. So if he isn't one of your best four or five safeties on the roster, then they could move on from him, even though they tendered him this offseason. That is a player that isn't necessarily a lock in my mind at this point. Now, finishing on a positive note, you mentioned Kobe Bryant. You mentioned Artie Burks. I had to stick at a corner spot because there's a lot of reason to be so excited about the way this group is playing. It's, there's a different feel this year, Rob. It's not like last year where it's like, we're putting some spare parts together. Let's see if we can make this work. A lot of guys with one year left in their contract. This year, you've got a couple veterans that are in that boat, but you've invested three draft picks in the last two years at the position. You're going to get Trey Brown back here in the near future, but I got to go with Tariq Woolen because this is a player that I think you and I agreed coming into this process that he was a raw prospect. He's only played corner for two years at the college level. He's coming from Conference USA, not one of the Power Five conferences. So he's going to have a leap in competition. Yes, he's an incredible athlete, and he's got great size. But the technique stuff, he has exceeded all expectations in that regard. And today even, we finally got to see, and they're calling him Avatar. That's what Artie Burns said his nickname is. But <laughs> Avatar going up against the Mandalorian himself, DK Metcalf. We finally got to see that in the field today. And Woolen held his own in the couple matchups they had in the team drills. Now, one of the throws, Metcalf looked like he was open and Drew Locke overthrew him a little bit. It was too high and he couldn't corral it. But he was playing good, sound, technical coverage against Metcalf. You could tell that he wasn't intimidated with that matchup. And why should he be with his physical tools that he brings to the table? You got two guys that look like they were engineered in a lab. And the Seahawks have both of them. So... I don't know how close he is to being ready to play on Sundays. We'll see how he adapts to these practices, moving towards the first preseason game, being in pads. But I have seen nothing that suggests to me that the stage is too big for this kid. And so, you know, he has put himself in a position where he is in the mix to play right now. And I don't think that anybody thought that was going to happen this quickly. 
I would be surprised if he's a starter early this year, but this is a guy that's got such freakish athletic abilities and natural talents that you know Pete Carroll and company are gushing about this kid. And if he keeps quickly progressing, they might not have a choice at this point. And that's just an exciting development by itself. No, it certainly is. We talk about Sidney Jones and Artie Burns and all these veterans who are one, maybe two-year deals at most. And then you have an athlete like Tariq Woolen and and, and the savvy player that is Kobe Bryant. Yeah, I I think the Seahawks can – convince themselves that these two young players are going to be the future, then yeah, why not go with them early on? But there is no doubt about it. When you see Tariq Wool, I mean, he is just unbelievable talent. Use the word corral there a moment ago. And that's one of the things I love about him is just when you watch him up, up to the line and the way he extends his arms out, those again, those YouTube listeners or watchers can see, you extend those arms out and you do corral the wide receiver. He cannot go left or right quite as well because you can latch on to him and Woolen with his straight line speed is able to change directions and accelerate down the field of all of them. And that is just exceptionally rare. And in today's NFL, what's all about passing game, that really does put Seattle in an advantageous position. So you're absolutely right, Corbin. Tariq Woolen is one to watch. I'm very curious to see how he tackles once things get a little bit more real in the preseason games. But yes, I also have been very impressed by Tariq Woolen. I didn't want to mention because I don't want to jinx him. But at the same time, there is no denying that his athletic ability just pops off the tape and off the screen or off the the field when you're up there watching from the berm. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out the Locked on Seahawks podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, streaming five days a week on YouTube as well coming up on our wednesday episode we'll have some takeaways from seattle's sixth training camp practice we've talked a lot about the cornerback position we're going to take a look at where that competition stands a week and a half into training camp and much more you won't want to miss it we're hoping to have the show live at 7 p.m tomorrow on youtube thanks for listening enjoy the rest of your tuesday go hawks